Work out too much in the heat and body core temperatures can rise to dangerous levels. Add heavy Army uniforms and equipment and heat can turn deadly. Now the Army Research Institute of Environmental Medicine has developed a way to more accurately predict when a soldier is in danger of overheating. Joining me with more, Lori Blanchard, biomedical engineer and Adam Potter, research physiologist at the Institute. Good to have you both on. Good to be here, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Let's start with the background here a little bit. Heat in training and I guess in, of course, operations is is an ongoing danger, it sounds like. It sure is. Every year we have about a, a thousand heat injuries and two to three deaths from heat stroke. And part of this is because Army operations, unlike surfing or something, you're always in a heavy canvas uniform, helmet, and uh, that's pretty much how you have to work. That's right, Tom. I mean, one of the pieces with uh, the difference between military and civilians, uh, the military doesn't really have the option to go inside and cool down or take off clothing all the time. They're, they're pretty much subjected to the environment and all their equipment that goes with it. And during training or during exercises or whatever times that uh, soldiers have to be monitored, how is that done now? How do you know someone is in danger of getting too hot? Most of the time, uh, there's, it's basically training and experience. Uh, there's kind of the intuition. Squad leaders and leaders kind of pay attention to their they're people, but there's not a lot of data-driven decision-making at the current moment. And I guess it's hard to gather data because you would have to monitor each person because people respond to heat differently, and nobody's the same situation precisely at the same given moment. That's very true. In other words, then the people monitoring activities and training are really almost have to be like football coaches and, and know what's going on person by person. That's true, and they have a lot of other things to pay attention to at the same time. All right, so tell us about your research. What are you trying to do here? How, how can this be measured? Heat and the danger of heat exhaustion or heat injury uh, can be monitored more carefully. So what this tool does, it, it takes existing equations about heat transfer um, and, and puts them into an easily usable application on a, on a phone or a tablet or even uh, Windows takes into account the environment, how much sunshine, is there a breeze, is the humidity high, what's the temperature. It takes into account what you might know about these soldiers. Are they heat acclimatized? Um, are they fully hydrated? And uh, also, what are they wearing? Is, is it just their uniform, or do they also have armor on as well, or maybe even chemical biological protective gear, which is even more encapsulating and allows for less heat loss? And then it, and then it also takes into account what, what type of work they're doing, um, because uh, doing the work generates quite a bit of heat, and so the harder they're working, the more that's going to build up. Well, are there sensors inside their uniforms or pasted to them that are transmitting data from, say, the skin surface? In this case, they're not. No, this is a, a planning tool for, for ahead of time to, um, to see if uh, you can execute an activity, at, you know, if maybe you have to do it earlier in the day before the sun comes up, or maybe, maybe change the time allowed for the activity. Yeah, Tom, I mean, you know, ideally, you know, you'd like to have a direct measure of every soldier all the time. Um, and we have, you know, actually at this institute co-developed some uh, wearable sensors that measure, you know, heart rate, physiology measures specifically uh, heart rate, core temperature, skin temperature, respiration. Uh, there's also been work to have uh, ingestible pills where you swallow a pill and you actually can get real-time measures of core temperature. The problem is there's a big logistic tail with that. There's a big cost to that. Um, it's not always a, a feasible thing to do. You have to set it up, take it all down, uh, where this approach is you know, trying to take all that information that we've collected over time 
put it into some empirical understanding in, in mathematical form and actually make these predictions non-invasively and without that big logistical tail. Sure, I guess having sensors and reading everybody individually in real time just doesn't scale very well, does it? That's true. We're speaking with Adam Potter. He's a research physiologist, and Laurie Blanchard is a biomedical engineer at the Army Research Institute of Environmental Medicine. Now, these equations then that are put into this application for a device, what does the supervisor or the person monitoring actually do then? What, what do they see on the screen? Well, what they see is sliders for uh, all the different weather conditions and what the activity is and what's worn. And as they, they move these around and adjust those parameters, the risk is shown in the graph as uh, increasingly dark shades of gray. So uh, if they're in the, the white zone, that's safe generally, and um, with increasing risk, it gets darker. So they can check ahead of time what to expect from the conditions and the activity. So they can dial in if it's 20 degrees out versus whether it's 90 degrees out, in other words. That's right. And again... And if they're you... carrying 30 pounds or 50 pounds. So weight that the soldiers are carrying, the ambient temperature, the air temperature, I guess, does it make a difference if the sun is shining or not at a given temperature? It makes a big difference. Uh, so basically, you'd want to put in as much information that's known about the individual, the environment, their activity, and then whatever clothing they're carrying and wearing, uh, because all those factors play into the heat exchange that's going to happen within each person and in that environment. And is there also a time element? In other words, you can do anything for 30 seconds, but as time goes on, the problem becomes worse. That's right. And this, this predicts out to five hours. And if an activity is suspended, say it's getting into the red zone, you know, and it's, it's hot out and people are having hazmat suits on and so on, then can the, does it reset? In other words, if you say stop now and wait 30 minutes, does, does it give you that kind of fine-grained information so that the supervisor, the trainer or whatever, can restart the activity at some point safely? We'd say as an optimistic side, yes. Uh, there's a lot of work to do. One of the big uh, challenges for us is going from dynamic changes in activity. So we're pretty confident we can predict, you know, one steady state, meaning you start a continuous work, and, and then how long you can go in that activity. Um, you know, and then we predict out kind of your best work rest cycles, like when's the point that would be most effective or most optimal to take a rest break and to restart. Um, you know, once you start to do these uh, really dynamic activities of start-stop, uh, the model starts to lose a little bit of confidence just because, you you know, you start to have some unknowns in there. But I'd say from uh, some of our recent work, we, we can do this pretty well, you know, be, you know better than, um, you know, years ago. So Sure. And do you use feedback from the people involved as a way of fine-tuning it? In other words, they could say to you, yeah, I know your, the equation said we should feel great at this point, but actually we're all dying of heat exhaustion here. And then you can fine-tune it based on real-world results? Um, you could. It's, uh, it's difficult to take subjective uh, information and turn it into some quantitative sure. information, you know, but, uh, but you could. You know, if it, obviously, if everybody, if the predictions say everybody's at, you know, 40C and they're all feeling great, then the predictions are probably off. But um, we'd say, you know, if you use it as a tool, as a guidance tool, not as a decision maker, you know, you can really get some uh, optimal gains in how you manage your activities. And what is the status of it? Is it deployed? Is it being tested? And uh, how's that going? 
I'll give that to Lori. So right now um, there are a few groups using it, the Special Warfare Center and School and the Battlefield Airmen Training Squadron, uh, both down at Fort Bragg and Pope Airfield. And uh, the reason we, we chose them is because they have a, a really um, – Good track record of of keeping an eye on the on their trainees and having the resources available should there should there be a problem. So we thought um, this is a, a good first test bed uh, because they have tremendously rigorous training and a, a history of heat injury that goes along with that. Um, mostly, we're using their feedback for the look and feel of the device, and in terms of the adjusting the equations, we, we do as as Adam said, kind of keep that data driven from other studies where we are actually measuring core temperature, skin temperature, heart rate, and so on. It sounds like this has a lot of industrial and commercial applications. Is there a way that this can migrate out to where people uh, in other industries outside of the military could use this for construction? Or I can think of a thousand yeah. places. Yeah, we definitely see that, you know, heat exposure and uh, heat injury is a, is a worldwide issue. I think there, there's a lot of different tools out there that exist now. The Army has kind of been known for pioneering some of this work over the last several decades, but I think it's it's kind of difficult to get some of these things that are more tuned down to an individual level. Like there's a lot of indices, like there's a WBGT index, there's uh, some of these other things that are developed out of the U.K., which are more targeted towards populations, but uh, not as much down to individual levels. So I think this could be a tool that could be, as you said, it could have some broad applicability. Adam Potter is a research physiologist, and Laurie Blanchard is a biomedical engineer at the Army Research Institute of Environmental Medicine. Thank you both very much. Thank you very much, Tom. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.